Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase Podcast. Before we start this episode, we're going to again take a little time to thank a little bit of the people who helped make this show possible. First up is 2.0 Gear. Uh, it's a new brand that we just started partnering with. Uh, they make awesome uh, high-end technical uh, hunting clothes, camo. Um, and so they're based in Michigan yep. and a uh, new company. We've tested them for months. I tested them uh, in the whitetail season last year. Great Merino base layers. Yep. Great awesome Merino shells. Yep. Awesome a, new pattern. A great system for going out west, but we'll use it a ton in the, in the whitetail woods too. So really excited to work with them. 2ogear.com. Go check them out. Next up is Worldwide Trophy Adventures. Uh, it's it's an awesome, uh, basically, connection to outfitters all over the world. So as a lot of people know, good hunting ground is really hard to come by. And um, oftentimes, the best way to ensure that you're going to get in a good spot or you may, maybe you need to legally have a guide is to, to go through an outfitter. Mm -hmm. um, and so... As you might know, if you've heard us before, we've had good experiences and bad experiences with outfitters, uh, which means, you know, in order to ensure you're going to have a good experience, you have to do a ton of research. You have to talk to people. It's just a lot of messing around. Worldwide Trophy Adventures, or WTA, does a lot of this work for you at no charge. So by booking your trip through WTA, you can rest assured that you'll be in a good location with a reputable outfitter um, that they've certified and endorsed. If you're looking to book a trip of a lifetime like I am, mm -hmm. uh, just headed to a moose hunt here through WTA, you're going to want to check them out. Uh, go give them a call. Actually, I have the number right here. It's 1-800-346-8747 or check out their website at worldwidetrophyadventures.com. All right, so we love Trophy Line. They offer more than just saddles. Believe it or not, they have their own climbing sticks. They've got platforms. They've got a ton of extra packs. Gear. They've got packs. They've got everything. Knee pads. Everything that you're going to need to be a saddle hunter, they have it. So if you want to start saddle hunting this year and get into the game like everyone else and really love hunting even more, go to Trophy Line. Check it out. Use the code TFC10 to save yourself 10% on that purchase. We're big bow hunters. Uh, sights, quivers, stabilizers, those kind of things are really important if you're going to have a deadly setup. Um, and so we've tried a lot of different companies in the industry and we've kind of figured out that we really like Redline gear the best. So, um, we are shooting their torch sites this yeah, year. It's Joe a, Shore, it's a really cool, one. really cool site. Very, there's a lot of good micro adjustments you can make. You mm -hmm. can customize a lot of the stuff on there really make it your own. The chargeable USB rechargeable yeah, light is really sweet. Cool. Um, and so we're huge fans of their stuff. We use them all the time. It's worth going to check them out. Uh, check out Redline. Use the promo code TFC10 for 10% off your purchase. And uh, let us know what you think. We love them. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase podcast. I realize that's exactly how I start most episodes. I've tried to, to stray away from it. And every single time I get nervous at the last minute, I just say the same thing over again. So welcome to another episode. It's what's happening. We're having... You guys back. Um, we, we love to talk hunting and, and so glad that you guys all listen to us um, today. Uh, I've got a very special guest, uh, Garrett Schlieff from Grizzly Stick, uh, president of Grizzly Stick, uh, has agreed to take time out of your day, uh, Garrett, to, to spend some time with me. So Garrett, thanks for, for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so Garrett, if, if for people who don't know, I, I said you're the kind of the president, the the, the head of, of Grizzly Stick. Uh, what what is Grizzly Stick? What do you guys do? Grizzly Stick. So we are a consumer direct arrow and broadhead company. Uh, we've been in existence since uh, 1994. We've been around a long time. Started out much differently than we have been over the last 10, 15 years, um, and just grown into really helping guys 
on bigger hunts, hunting in Africa uh, and coming up with systems for bigger animals for guys. Uh, that's really kind of been our forte. And now over the last couple of years, really getting into talking to a lot more whitetail guys about shooting whitetails. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the big game stuff, you, you guys, if anybody's ever spent time on their website, there's a lot of information. And, and like you said, it's, it's, it's a lot uh, focused on things like Cape Buffalo or uh, Grizz or, you know, some bigger animals, but you mentioned whitetail too. Uh, is that like a recent trend or why, 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 why are you seeing this kind of surge in, in whitetail action too now? Just, you know, for us, when we started out and you and I had had a, a prior discussion of a little bit on this is we came out of trad. So we were shooting in Alaska. So we were shooting heavier arrows at, at bigger animals. So we were trying to get more arrow penetration. Uh, as our company grew out of a trad company and started making heavier equipment, just kind of by default, guys hunting bigger animals, looking for different equipment, uh, started looking for us or finding us. Uh, a lot of it through word of mouth or through the web uh, or through their guides and PHs. And we really started building systems off the shelf where guys could go hunt Cape Buffalo or go hunt brown bears. Uh, and that worked really well. So we started eventually going from trad into some of the bigger stuff. And then those guys would come back from their hunts. They had, they were successful and they'd be like, Hey, I'm going on a whitetail hunt, wherever they're going, fill in the blank. And Hey, I'm looking for something that has a little bit more punch than the other stuff in the market. So really slowly and very organically, it kind of, even there was a step in there I missed. It went from Africa to elk and moose and brown mm -hmm. bear. And, you know, that would really kind of more elk guys. And then, you know, I'd say really in the last five years, more the whitetail market. I don't know if it's as much as just our company, but a lot of the high FOC, Ashby, single bevel stuff started kicking in. More companies started making equipment. So for guys that were looking for that kind of equipment to go hunt with, there was just more options. So it created a bigger buzz in the marketplace for guys to go look at it. And, you know, we've just been sitting there for a long time doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Cause I mean, even when I was a kid, when I started shooting, it had to be probably 1997 or eight when I kind of first got my ball I was 10, 10, 11 years old. Um, I mean that time, it, and I knew just a little bit of it, just the time I was in shops and stuff and the products that were available. It was like you had a light arrow, a fast arrow, and like my Carbon Express camo, you know, camo wrap Carbon Express. Like I yeah. had so many of those arrows. Um, yeah. Totally different now. Yeah. Totally different now. And, but that was the same kind of thing back to when even i I grew up trad, so I'm a little older than you, but <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 you know, we were shooting XX 75s and Rocky mountain razors. That was kind of the, that was the go-to for what we were shooting. We were shooting somewhere between 55 and 65 pound longbows yep. usually and hunting everything in Alaska with that. Um, and that setup worked okay. If you hit everything and everything, you hit them in a good spot and everything went right. It didn't necessarily work as well. Uh, if you hit anything, especially like a moose and a big bone front shoulder, yeah. um, you know, that thing would stop on a dime. So that's where we started looking at, um, ways to maximize. We didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea we were chasing, putting shot in our arrows and sand. And, like <laughs> yeah. you've heard a lot Getting of guys, in there somehow. We, we didn't know why intrinsically what we were trying to do. We were just trying to, we knew somewhere that we needed more weight. We didn't know how to do that. Right. So that sent us on a path. Um, we were, we were already kind of on. And then in about 19 and I'm sorry, in about 2005, yep. we were introduced to Dr. Ashby through a, a mutual acquaintance. Uh, this is be my father started the company. I was part of it by that time. And, um, 
Just for the record, I was a junior in high school, having a heck of a soccer season. <laughs> having a heck of a soccer season. Yeah. I was, I had just left, uh, I think we talked about this, I just left my job at Ducks Unlimited. Um, <laughs> and so this was my foray into the family business, trying to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So that was, and it was, it was kind of set up that way. So, um, but we were already kind of chasing these things and then we found Ashby and then we started reading his reports and mm. all, all, all of his stuff. And it was just like, for a lot of people that read it, not everybody, I get it. Um, the light just went off like, wow, this really makes sense. We understand this. Um, this is what we were chasing anyway. He's the first guy to not only write it down, but there was so many shots over time and so many animals that there wasn't just like anybody's opinion. There was statistical significance in everything that he was doing. Um, and then yeah. we, we got on a path probably about 2007, um, building equipment, chasing what he had found yeah. and what, you know, our database and, you know, over the years has really been, doesn't follow his exactly. There's certain things that we found a lot of these things, it's opinions, right? You get to a certain level on any of this stuff. My opinion may be a little bit different. What we start arguing over is how far they brought it is sticking out the offside of any animal, right? It doesn't at a certain point, you know, let's, let's, you know, where, where we kind of go, we always tend to, to err on the side of overkill. I want too much, not, not just enough. Uh, I'm always, you know, um, as guys hunt, how many, how many, um, shot opportunities do you have in your lifetime? Yeah. And when you have those shot opportunities, what's your chance to maximize those opportunities and not have lost? If you actually get a shot at an animal and you work as hard as you do to get that shot, that, that arrow, when it makes contact better, better work. Um, or, or you want statistically to get that chance up as high as possible. Yeah. For, for people who are, you know, who maybe are unfamiliar and it's funny, we, we spend a lot of our episodes talking about arrows with, we, you, you know, we've talked to lots of people about different ideas about arrow weight performance and everything else. It's a, it's a thing hunters think about a lot and it's something we think about a lot. So we spend a lot of time on it. Um, and for maybe folks who are newer to this, Dr. Ed Ashby and, and you know, Garrett, as I go, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but he, he spent a lot of time and, and research on really arrow performance, especially in the context of bow hunting. So Ashby studied things like arrow mass, uh, front of center or FOC, which I love the F run FOC stud uh, <laughs> in, in your background, the, the um, poster there. I'm um, talking like things like broadhead design and, you know, looking at what shaft and shaft integrity, kind of how that all comes together and producing this lethal arrow. And so he, he's a big proponent of heavier arrows um, with a higher front of center. So front of center for anybody listening, you take an arrow and you, you balance it on your finger. How, how much does it, can you get to the closest to the front of the arrow before it balances and the closer to the front, the higher the FOC, I think that's right. Yep. All these. It. He's basically found, um, and again, I'm oversimplifying, but penetrate better. Uh, we'll, we'll push through things like hide and bone. And he would look at, you know, spears and, and um, more, you know, I, I, when we say traditional archery, I mean like native um, archery and the, the tools that they use, how are they to be able to be so lethal against fairly large animals with, you know, bows that maybe aren't, you know, they're not the compound bows that we're using uh, these days. And so, you know, that that's the research that he kind of brought in, in an era where things were, all, we were all looking at, you know, fast arrows and getting to the animal quickly, which, you know, is important in some way. He, he had 
kind of advocated for this heavier, maybe even a slower arrow for, for different reasons. You, you nailed it. Um, for most guys in a very short Cliff's Notes version, 30 years of research he wrote extensively. There's there's volumes. You can find it uh, on the foundation pages. You can find it on our page. There's on several pages that's published. You can go read all of his research. Um, probably the most important thing with the research that we found is it was all outcome driven. Mm -hmm. So there was no, I think this works better. It was, I got, and most of his testing in the later years happened on Asiatic and Cape Buffalo. Yeah. Um, with the Asiatics, the reason why is their, their ribs would overlap. So he didn't really care what would happen on soft tissue. Most arrows and broadheads work right. fairly well on soft tissue. It was on hard angles. It was on heavy bone hits. Th these are the things that, you know, we can't plan for, for as bow hunters. He wanted to see what happened when the arrow did that. Yeah. Um, so with all that research, um, I think the first thing for most guys, if they never heard of them, the, uh, the, the one I always like to quantify is work when people say it's important or it's not important. Um, without his research, bow hunting in South Africa would have never got legalized. That was yeah. the research that they used to, to legalize it in South Africa. Once South Africa legalized most of the six or seven other countries that you can legally bow hunt in now, all came with it. South Africa's being the biggest, the most hunting tourist. You know, a lot of guys fall in line with kind of what what they do. So that's one way to quantify what he's done. Number two, it was just basically, hey, if you do these things, regardless of the equipment, we found that it penetrates better no matter what happens. Yeah. So we've taken that with a, a not necessarily a laser-like focus, but a focus on, we want to focus on the things that he said work. And then we want to keep testing inside that on how to make sure that those products on impact penetrate no matter what we hit. So I think that's a lot of the mentality that it comes behind. Um, a lot of times and you and I had mentioned this, we talk about it in rifle calibers. Um, I grew up in a household in Alaska that we carried one rifle pretty much for everything. And that rifle was a 375 H H with 300 solids. We shot everything with it. Blacktail deer, goats, sheep, you shot, that was the rifle we had. And then one of the reasons we had that is because if you walked into a brown bear, it would, you could stop everything right now. You didn't have to discuss anything, yeah. right? We can, it, it's, so it was bigger than it needed to be for everything. So a lot of the mentality came out of that for us when we were trying to fling arrows at a 60 pound longbow at a moose, like I need more than enough to make sure that happens, especially if we hit the big bones or things like that. So that's where a lot of that tie into Ashby and what he found in Africa, uh, guys come in. A lot of people also say a lot of that testing was done in stick bows. It was a lot of it was done on compounds also from what we found in building this stuff for almost 20 years. It's pretty universal. It doesn't, the right. arrows and broadheads do not care what kind of bow they come out. They really don't. Everything works about the same once it, once it's in the air. Yeah. So, um, that, that'd be another part of it. All right. We're going to take a pause here real quick and just thank a few more guys and companies that help make this show possible. First up is Vortex. We can't say it enough. We love their glass. We love their binoculars, spotting scopes, range finders, their apparel. James, James is rocking a nice little hoodie here. They make awesome stuff. And if you guys are looking to make a purchase at Vortex, go over to their website and use the code TFC20 to save yourself 20% on the next purchase. That's a big, good discount. Use it. Head over there and get something. A bow makes a man. And, yeah, that's what I was told. And we're we're big fans of, of Prime Bows. Shooting it for years, Michigan-based company. Uh, we're shooting their latest Revix series of bows. Mine's that 36 long boy. I'll generally year. take a few shots right back here and just yeah. 
Yeah, we, we're a huge fans. Smooth, uh, great balance. Um, they're, they're just go check them out. There's tons of technology. One of my favorite things that they have is their grip. Mm. Uh, space age space technology age. keeps your hand warm even when it's cold. Um, highly recommend go check out Prime Archery. Finally, Lathrop and Sons boots. Your feet kill animals. Like the more you walk, the more chances you have at, at getting that big buck, that big elk, moose, whatever it is. Uh, Lathrop and Sons have been kind of our go-to boot of choice for a while now. Um, we've put in a lot of miles, taken them all over the place. There's no leaking. It's comfortable. Stephen and James there, like, spent – they're, like, foot like, they're scientists. Ge- they're geniuses. I got messed up feet, and they basically will – you know, you take an imprint of your foot. They'll look at it, look at your arch, how wide it is, how narrow, how long, and they literally build the boot around your foot. So you're not going to a box store and picking up something that you hope is going to fit your boot. These things actually – are tailor-made to your foot. So they're super comfortable. Mine, I could I could walk all day in them. So if, if, if you're looking to and get you a have. boot. If, <laughs> I have. If you're looking for a boot that's made for you and not somebody else, go check out Lake Thurman Sons. Well, and for, for a white tail guy, you know, you mentioned the, the rise and kind of white tail hunter interests and these sorts of things. And you, if anybody is even just a semi kind of passive observer can see like, you're seeing a rise in actually fixed head again, where it was, you know, mechanical for so long. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I've used mechanical extensively and killed most of my deer with mechanic, uh, about half and half um, with mechanical broadhead. And they've been great. You run into problems, though. Um, by the way, that's the funniest mug. <laughs> I just caught that. So for, for our listeners who are not seeing it, it says coffee makes me poop. That's just good, clean fun right there. there, there um, that'll, that'll, that's some insight on, yeah, on who right. I am as a person. <laughs> but for whitetail guys, um, it, have, and I, most guys who have hunted or gals who have hunted for a long time have run into the problem where you, you, you pull a little forward or the, you know, the deer kind of moves his, his kind of elbow or whatever back. And you hit right into that shoulder. Um, you hit that with a, a, an expandable broadhead, a mechanical. And for the most part, you're going to have a bad time. I mean, you're, you're going to get a half inch of penetration or whatever. Uh, there's got to be a joke there. But you get a half inch of penetration there. And, you know, the, the deer runs away with a, a mere flesh wound. So um, to switch to something that has power behind it and can push through, um, suddenly you can start pulling your shots a little bit further forward and not, or yeah, for, further forward. So you don't have to worry so much about, you know, that bone and get it, get up in there and just kind of, you know, if you can get into this size area, you know, the size of a kind of a football, uh, like you're going to be okay. Um, and, and when you're with a mechanical, it's like, uh, you kind of have to, I would always at least kind of err on the side of just aiming a little farther back. Now, this year, I switched to being totally fixed blade uh, for the first time in many years, um, and it worked great. I mean, what was really nice for me is I never thought about that. I just kind of disregarded hitting a bone and focused on the spot that I really wanted to hit. The The part where I ran into some, I mean, I, I shot two decent bucks here in Michigan um, and recovered them real quick. Uh, the thing that made me nervous and the thing that I've always loved about mechanicals is sometimes if you get a good hit on a mechanical, it looks like there's a, a, a hose spraying blood. And for both of the hits that I had, and these are not grizzly stick broadheads, they bled, but it was a little trickier to find that blood trail. Um, 
that's always something that I hear, uh, Garrett, from, from folks that are like, well, I'm a, I'm a you know, um, a mechanical guy because of that blood trail. Like, what would your, what's your take on that? We see the same thing. So a okay. um, couple of things that come into play, and that's what a hunter really needs to consider for themselves, what kind of situational hunting they like to do and where they're yeah. at and shot angles and all, all those preferences that come into play for guys. Um, definitely the first one I'd tell guys is with single bevel broadheads, whether we make them or anybody else, if you're shooting animals under 350 pounds and you shoot them broadside in the boiler room, there's a good, sh you're going to shoot right through them like butter. So would a lot of other things. There's no yeah. special, right? You, through the boiler rooms, through the boiler room. Um, those broadheads, those single bevels are made to penetrate no matter what, number one. Number two, they're made to uh, hit any heavy bone that they make. They're not made to make giant holes. That's, that'd be one. Um, one of the other philosophies that kicks into this is, do you want to make one hole or two? That's a whole nother debate that we could get into at a later time. But so we're for us and our philosophy when we're shooting deer, we're trying to shoot through them no matter what. Um, so with the single bevels, what happens for a lot of guys is you are going to get that deer is going to expire before you get any kind of meaningful blood out of them mm -hmm. to track them. It's bow hunting. It's a live animal. You can hit them and blood can go everywhere. You can hit them and blood cannot go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I have pictures of lots of pictures and video of both. It depends on what you hit. Yeah. Um, so there's, as a general rule over time, that single bevel is not going to make as big of a hole. So that, that would be the first one. So then we get into fixed two blade double bevels and we have with adding more weight behind them with white tails found great success of you get a lot of penetration with a double bevel. It's not going to twist on a heavy bone and break the bone. It's going to hit a heavy bone and try to cut through that bone. Uh, we can go through how that works, but on, on the double bevel, that's going to go through bone. So on animals under 350 pounds with enough head weight and FOC in that arrow, we can hit heavy bone and cut it on animals that size instead of break it. So it opens up more shot for you. And with those uh, two blade fixed and as they get wider and wider, you start opening them up and making bigger and bigger holes back to now you can shoot them almost two inches wide, get perfect arrow flight. And you don't have to worry about that thing deploying or at a hard angle skipping that thing's going to bite yeah, which uh, on anything on that hits. last year. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a high to kill. Yeah. and it, 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 the feathers ate up the, the mechanical and I literally had a ball of just feathers. I've never seen anything like, it. I didn't even know that was a thing until yeah. it happened. No, and and that, so that could be a thing, uh, you know, mechanical shooting through grass. A lot of guys have issues with that too, right? So shot opportunities and shot placement, what you can do with them. Um, our take on it for most guys is two things. One is if it's working for you, keep doing it. That's, mm -hmm. that's number one. I'm not trying to convince anybody. We're only trying to help guys that are looking for something else. Uh, I'm not trying to convince everybody in the world that, you know, and for the right guy, when they find this stuff, they fall in love with it um, on what you can do ethically and how you can start hunting, especially whitetails yeah. uh, with it, with a heavy enough head. But to answer your question, yes, on the two blades, um, you can, you definitely, you're probably going to see less blood or your chances of seeing less blood become more important. So 
what we start doing and we catch a lot of backlash in the industry for, and, and we really don't care because we have enough experience with our own customers and our own video libraries of watching enough of this stuff over time that we just know it works. And that is a lot of times with a high enough FOC and a big enough, not with all equipment with when you meet certain thresholds, uh, just put it on his front shoulders and break his legs. You're yeah. going to hit both bags behind it. Um, and you're going to watch him <laughs> die from the tree. You're not going to have to worry about blood trail tracking them because you'll watch them go down. And so it's a much different philosophy. We kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. I can see rifles. people getting mad about that. <laughs> well, and, and, and they do. And I understand it. I get it. And um, without any kind of research um, or without, you know, having a customer base that we have and the amount of people that we have and the amount of media that we personally have access to watching, not guys on TV, Joe Schmo that bought it. Here's my video of me whacking this whitetail. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, we have a pretty extensive library of that stuff. And watching guys being able to very ethically take animals at different dis, you know, at their lethal distances uh, with a heavy enough arrow and broadhead setup. Just to, to rewind for, for folks, uh, we're talking bevels, right? So a single bevel is a blade that has an angled edge on like one side, like a chisel. So it hits something like a bone and the broadhead rotates. So it kind of rotates through the bone and tissue. A double bevel is like a knife where it's both sides. It's like straighter. Like it'll go straight through. It won't rotate. Um, you know, and so there are, I, I you got, imagine. you got it. The, the okay. single bevel is only sharpened on the one side. If you flip it over, it's sharpened on the same side. It's like two <clears> offset wedges as they hit, they want to rotate. So even on soft tissue or even with air pressure, they'll start to rotate themselves. Mm -hmm. um, not a lot, but I mean, enough that it'll start to, and on impact, especially when it hits anything hard and it starts to meet resistance, it starts to turn very quickly and violently. So instead of trying to hit a bone and cut through it and split it open, it's going to hit that bone and twist and try and break it open. Once we break it open, a couple things happen. It takes a lot more energy for that arrow to break than cut. That's number one. So all things being equal, it just makes it easier to penetrate when you hit a bone with a single bevel than a double number two when you break that bone versus trying to shoot that arrow through a bone depending on how, the size of it there's a lot less drag against that arrow shaft once you hit it and break it so uh, versus a double when you're trying to cut through it and that arrow shaft is going to be trying to push fit through, through push through that bone right it's going to create a lot of drag a lot more resistance you're not going to generally get as much penetration out of it so again when we get into bigger animals, this becomes a lot, what we found becomes a lot more important um, than it does in lighter poundage, or I'm sorry, in lighter arrow setups for guys for our whitetails. Um, over mm -hmm. the last couple of years, we've definitely watched that arrow weight, the common arrow weight creep up. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know, it was 400, then it was 450. Now I think 500 isn't scary anymore. No. Um, I think guys will get to 550. Um, Ashby's heavy bone threshold is 650 grains and there's a combination. It's not just 650, but it's, it has to have at least 19% forward to center. And then a lot of other things that go in there. But then when you follow all those rules, you couldn't find a bone that you couldn't hit and break. Does that mean that you can't hit and break bones at lighter weights? No, that isn't true. It just isn't statistically significant when you start saying at 650, I don't care what you hit, you're going to break it. You're going to bust um, through it. So it depends. And every shot is different. We don't look at any one shot on really anything. You got to look at 100 shots on 100 animals to really start determining what it is on, you know, what are your chances? Because every shot's a little bit different, right? On, and where you hit, what angle you hit, how much the animal moves, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's the, yeah. There, so just to rewind back again, um, we're talking Ashby and you, you mentioned you're kind of implementing 
you know, his ideas as you, when you started the kind of started Grizzly Stick. So like, you know, how did you, how'd you do that? How'd that go about? You, you hear of Ashby, you're making arrows. How'd you fuse, fuse those things? How did that process go? Uh, uh, honestly, it was a blind leap of faith. <laughs> it was, I mean, yeah. it was, uh, we didn't have our own research at the time. Um, and we didn't have any, we didn't have any, um, manufacturing expertise at all internally trying to figure out how to build something chasing what he was doing so mm -hmm. it was really for us it was all this research that made sense to us but we had never and no one had really started building stuff chasing what what he had found so you know that was really and we had parts of that we already had tapered arrows that's a huge part of it mm -hmm. um as guys are chasing foc you know a tapered shaft or our tapered shafts have a five percent foc built into them without having any head weight where when you're a parallel you just can't you can't get that weight up and that's uh, we, and you're saying that your arrows are basically they start thicker and end start thicker thin. and they taper back to the back end yeah. correct yeah it's so um and with that they fly through the air much differently um you think of it more of as a as a pub dart you put a big brass chunk on the front end of it you have a little tail with veins on it for guidance and steering on the back but instead of when we add all this weight to the front of these arrows instead of trying to push that arrow through the air as fast as you can you're pulling that arrow through the air and more importantly you're going to pull the arrow through an animal instead of trying to push it through it just becomes much more efficient the tapers, um, they paradox much differently without getting too far in the weeds. They just flex yeah. much differently in the air. They only yeah. flex on one end. They don't flex on both like a standard parallel. So all things being equal, same arrow weight out of the same poundage bow. It's just a more efficient machine when you hit an animal and you're trying to penetrate into it. Sure. Actually, that makes a ton of sense. With um, Interesting. So you're, you're, we're talking heavy arrows and you're, yep. you're kind of you're experimenting with it. Did you have any concern at the beginning of sh shooting at distance with something that's heavier and, and you know, is that well, ever been a, that was was that a concern? Of, uh, it, internally for us, it wasn't because we were all trad guys. Right. So right. that, that was, so, so we had to learn. Um, and then what we found and what we've really started to market to and help guys with was guys were like, how does it shoot at 80? And I'm like, do you hunt at 80? And they'd say no. And I'm like, what's your lethal distance that you hunt at? What's the farthest that you'll shoot at a live animal? And guys would say 40. And I'm like, I don't care how it flies at 80. I only care how it flies at 40. Yeah. Any target practice that you do beyond that or whatever ranges you do, that's on, you know, you can do that. And guys, common guys with a 70 pound bow and a 650 grain arrow, they get an 80 yard pit. Mm -hmm. So it, it, is it going to be as flat as a lighter arrow? No. Um, when you get there, is it hard to stop it? Yes. So it's, you know, it's those trade-offs on what you want to do and what, when you get out to distance and you want to hit stuff. But um, what we found is just, it really didn't matter as much for guys when they were hunting whitetails as they went down in weight. One of the things that we found for them is you just wanted to keep your FOC up yeah. and keeping your FOC up. It's just with the tapered shafts. It's a lot easier to do that. All things being equal, two shafts weigh the same, right? One's tapered. One's not again, the, the, the one with the taper and it's going to have five to 6% FOC built into it just because of the taper. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's interesting to know. And it's, uh, it's, it's a thing we hear about it a lot. It's like, well, I, you know, flatter shooting, you know, um, and I think that's where it guys, when you're shooting tapered arrows with high FOC, it flies and handles much differently than shooting a parallel with a bunch of head weight on the front of it. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And like we did with you, I said, let's, let's set you up with a test kit. You can put this on, you, you, you get it, you shoot it on your bow. And instead of me telling you what you should expect to see, you tell me what you see when you actually shoot it. 
Yeah. Um, for most guys, like we said, if they go from 500 grains to, as an example, 650, and they don't have to go that heavy, but if guys go that heavy, they'll see for most guys at 70 pound bow, they're not going to touch their 20, 30. And a lot of guys don't even touch their 40 yard pins over 40 yards. Your pin gaps are going to open up more than they would with the light arrow. Mm -hmm. But on the trade-off, once you're sighted in and, and you can range, the difference is how much penetration you can get out of that arrow. It's not as flat, but man, that thing is hard to stop at, at longer distances. Right. And you're, and you're, you're looking at think what, what do you value, you know, um, with your arrow, right? This is kind what do of, you want, right? Yeah. That's really, you, you nailed it. And that's what I said. It's not necessarily for everybody, for certain guys is like, this is a word I've been looking for this, you right. know, certain things become, this becomes intrinsically more popular with saddle yeah. guys. It's really popular, whether it's our stuff or high FOC is, is they get, really weird situations where they get really unique shots. And most yes. of those guys, a lot of guys, especially the urban guys, this thing needs to die inside this acre and a half that I'm on, <laughs> right. I can't have it wander out into the parking lot. So, you know, it's a much different, I, I I'm trying to overkill at this point, right. I'm trying to knock him off his feet. Um, yeah. so it's a much different idea. And so when you build stuff like, Hey, I could knock down Kate Buffalo or I could shoot through a Kate Buffalo that, you know, guys that are looking for that kind of stuff are like, Holy cow. And I'm like, you don't have to go that heavy, but you get the general idea. We start following certain rules and certain guidelines, depending on what, what you're hunting, I yeah. can get you to shoot through it. So, um, and really if guys that are looking to do that, shoot through stuff versus, the anxiety of hitting heavy bone, the anxiety of too far forward or too far back or all that anxiety versus- I don't want to think about that. In the I want to shoot them, right? That There's that. And the other part I, I talk to guys about in lethal distance, a lot of the general dogma that you'll get in the industry is guys will talk about, still to this day, they, sh they talk about shot placement. And it's one of those things that I just don't understand. That's that for me, that's an argument that would come out of target archery. It doesn't mm -hmm. come out of hunting. Um, for all the videos that we have over the years of whitetails, I think we talked about this a little bit too, but for all the videos that we have, any whitetail that's standing still that I've ever seen an arrow shot at, unless there's high wind, which would be the only time I've seen it a couple times, those deer move before that arrow gets there. Yeah. They absolutely move. So when guys say, Oh, it's shot placement, I'm like, shot placement at what? We're shooting right. at a live animal. Sometimes they duck. Sometimes they jump. Sometimes they go away. Sometimes they come towards you. I don't know what's going to happen. So when you say shot placement, I'm saying, yes, I'm picking a spot with a heavier arrow, knowing that if he moves, because he's probably going to move, yeah. that no matter where that arrow ends up actually making contact with him or her, that it's going to penetrate no matter what I hit, bone included. And so I, just yeah. back to the odds of, of penetration. Well, I, I shot a... I shot a buck this year, you know, working a licking branch, you know, it's totally focused. It's eyes are, it's rubbing sticks in its eyes. It's not paying any attention at all. And I shot it and it definitely moved. It was a 23, two yard shot. And it's, it was totally focused. It had something literally in its eye when I shot it. Um, and it moved. They just are, they're turned up. Yeah, White tails especially, you know, yeah, that's where I, I've never run. And we can make arguments for some of the things that you, some of the benefits that you get for heavy arrows in those same shot situations. Number one, again, that arrow is going to penetrate high FOC, high, high mechanical advantage on the broadheads. We start chasing all that stuff. Yeah. Number two, um, I know once that deer, and we talked about this a little bit too, once I am zeroed in with that kind of a setup, 
for whitetails or any other animal out to your lethal range. I'm comfortable. And for me as a trad guy, that that's only 20 yards. Most guys bow hunting, it's 30 to 40, depending mm-hmm. on where that is for most guys. Knowing that at 30 yards, if you're dialed in, if anybody steps one foot inside that circle, you can attack at any time. I can yeah. go, I I'm going to penetrate. I can break bones if I want to. I cannot, I can shoot your broadside if I want to back to, it just gives guys a lot more opportunities and shot opportunities by the time an animal actually enters that zone for them that they can shoot ethically at them and kill them. Well, and you're, you're, you start to think, and you know, people sometimes get upset about this, but the, the dreaded frontal shot, which, you know, I personally love, I saw it work very well for me this year uh, yep. on a moose. And, um, you know, for, for arrows, it works pretty well too. If you have the right setup, right. You gotta have the right setup. Um, in rifles, when we talked about this too, on a moose, if you had a 270 wind mag on that hunt that you were on mm-hmm. and somebody, and he was at the same distance and somebody said, I don't care how heavy the bullet weight is on that either. Right. And yeah. they said frontal, I I'd wave you off. I said, no, that's not yeah. a good idea. Right. Yeah. With the right caliber and the right bullet, it's the most lethal thing. You can't yeah. kill them any faster. And so, right. right. It's just so much force, you know, it's right. And what I like about it is no matter where you come in from the front, it's all goodies. I mean, it's, I don't care what you hit. There's 15 ways you can kill them once it penetrates through the front chest. Right. Um, It just, our biggest one has always been on the arrow side that most guys don't talk about a lot. As you penetrate back, once you tap the diaphragm, that's it. That's it. You can't expand anymore. The computer is going to turn off. You got, you got 30 seconds Set the clock. Um, so we do like it. And that is one of the, but we, we, you'll catch a lot of people say, Hey, that's not ethical. And my, my response to that always with the wrong equipment, you're absolutely right with the right equipment. It's the most ethical thing you can do. Um, we have a, you know, a significant amount of, uh, video on our website of frontal shots on what, on whitetails all the way up to Cape Buffalo. Uh, and, and then not only just the frontal shot, but then the entire post-mortem with the professional hunter, with the pH behind that, talking about the penetration and how fast, I don't think you can kill them that fast with a rifle while shooting them from the front. Yeah. Uh, you run a spear through them back to, and it, you know, it comes out the back end, man. It just, things, things go down in under, under 25 seconds. Now, so, what point, at what point when you're, you're messing with it at the beginning of Grizzly Stick, did it, was it just like, this is what I need. This is it. Like, when did the light kind of come on? <sighs> So we're small. We always have been a number of employees. So a lot of multitasking inside the company. There was one point probably about 10 or 12 years ago with the Cape Buffalo. We were constantly just trying to explain to people and it would seem like a fight, 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 fight. And at one point, somewhere along the line with that, um, we were kept posting pictures and video and where it clicked in my head where I don't have to explain this anymore. Like yeah. it doesn't, you either want to do Educating. this or you don't with this, but yeah. I don't, I don't have to feel like I have to, I there's, there's a, there's just, there's such a big uh, pool of success that you can look at for guys doing this um, that I don't really feel like we need to justify or explain how or why we do that anymore on those animals. Um, and still Cape Buffalo for us was always a big one just because there's not many things bigger. That's usually the most, that's a pinnacle animal for most guys. If they ever get that far, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big one. Uh, and it's usually the one that is, it's the most accessible and the most affordable of the big five. So when you get into some, a lot of the other big five, I mean, that stuff is makes goat on cheap hunts start to look cheap too. Well, yeah. not cheap hunts, but you get the yeah. idea. I mean, that's, that's some big money stuff that you start hunting. Um, and so that I think that was probably the, when the, the light switch went off. I think for me, it took a couple times, uh, moose hunting for me, 
um, shooting, shooting frontal, or for me, it wasn't shooting frontal as much as it was shooting through the shoulder on purpose. Um, with a recurve. With a longbow, with a with longbow. longbow. Uh, yeah. So, um, 825 grain arrows, 62 pound longbow inside 20. Um, and trying to convince yourself on a quartering away shot that you want to put it on a shoulder and pull the trigger. you know, for us, we struggled with it, you know, and I talked to a lot of the guys about the frontal stuff. Um, We had guys doing this for years and sending pictures to us, especially on elk bugling and elk. You stand there at 14 yards. Right. And they're drilling them a lot heavier setups than than we even recommend now. Um, This was probably in the 800 grain range. A lot of guys were doing this at the beginning, basically a log. It's a log log (laughs) with with all the weight in the front, right? It's it's still, it's all, all in the front. And so, you know, and they're sending me pictures of, you know, broadhead sticking 14 inches out as hammy. And you're like, I've never seen anything die this fast. And, and, you guys should talk about this. And we were like, you are nuts. Yeah. You know, th- that's a third rail for manufacturers. Like yeah, this yeah. doesn't, it goes against ethically a lot of the things that I grew up and learned and, and yeah. my own shot selection, my yeah. own hunting experiences and back to with the right equipment. And we just kept seeing guys do it. And they kept saying the same thing. I've never seen anything die this fast. I've never seen. So then it became on us. Hey, I actually want to physically do this myself on a big animal, see what yeah. happens. Uh, before I'm ever going to recommend this to anybody else. And I've never seen a moose go down that fast. So right. it goes, okay, you know, I, 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 with the, back to, with the right equipment, you can do things differently that would be outside of the norm of what the standard archery industry would be. Yeah. Um, I don't condone or I don't recommend guys do that with normal setups. And I didn't in, uh, hear me. I didn't say that you have to go do it with my setup. If you follow the Ashby things, those rules, and you stack enough of those in there, ethically, it becomes, it just becomes about the most lethal thing you can do to hit them. So yeah. it, and more of a proponent of that, when you really start doing this for a while, um, you hear it a lot in, in, in guys that carve duck decoys after a certain while, old carvers stop hunting. Um, I haven't mm-hmm. stopped hunting, but, um, when you build enough arrows and broadheads for guys, especially for big things in Africa, you start having a little bit more conscious and connection with those animals. And what I've always felt like, if we're going to build this equipment as aerosmiths, when we're building it, your responsibility is going to be to put that animal down as quickly as possible, regardless right. of the situation. Yep. So we always default to that in our thought process when we're rec- making recommendations to guy, I always, again, we always want to go more than enough. Not, not that with that being said though, we got a lot of guys shooting 550 grain setups with double bevels at whitetails and just, you know, tearing them apart um, yeah. with that, those kind of setups. Well, I started to come around, you know, I, I, if anybody's listened to the show for any amount of time, I like, I mess around with setups. I am always tinkering and trying new stuff. Right. Um, <clears throat> this idea or this way of thinking is kind of, kind of hit home for me when I, I grew up really shooting a 30, 30 rifle in the deer woods in Michigan, right? Like lever action. I didn't, I had a, no zoom on my scope. I'd have the over under sights <laughs> shot most of my deer with the, yeah. the iron sights. Right. Um, started taking my 300 wind mag out and the retina detacher. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> and like, boy, did I find that the deer didn't run so far and like I could use that same rifle that I was comfortable with pretty much for almost everything that I would ever hunt. And it was like, well, I don't, I like just having one thing, you know, I don't have to, I don't want to mess and I want, I want something that is overkill on 
most things and you know and enough for for the really really big things so i started thinking about arrows the same way and my yep. archery the same way i'd be like well <clears throat> you know i wouldn't use this arrow for if i were to you know do an elk or a moose hunt i would you know this is, this is too light it's like well you know why not um and like i said i was you know out turkey hunting and we we kind of turkey hunt a little bit different here no blinds or or anything like that we're in public land and we're just calling them and and hiding you know and trying to trying to get it going and, and that's i mean we love it it's super fun it takes a lot of work but it's like when you get a moment and you get a turkey in and you know you want to be able to put that thing down it takes forever to to get that to work in, in the right circumstance where you have cover and you can draw your bow and all that and you know this past year hitting a turkey with my with my uh, expandable and literally it like bounced off of it um, you know, I, I did hit it high. It wasn't a great shot, but I, you know, it's like, how did I eat up that much feather and like some drops of blood in this thing just kind of left, like it was fine. Um, it's like, well, maybe I just, maybe a little overkill is okay, you know, for, for a turkey. And well, from there it's, it's like, well, why not deer? Well, why not? You know, and we always look at it, races. you know, when you, when it does that, that's underkill, right? That, yeah. that we were at underkill, we weren't at overkill. So that's, yeah. you know, there's still room that you can go. Back to, we'll see a lot of customers over the years. We don't have a mass amount, but for the size of our company and building stuff, uh, you'd mentioned, you know, possibly goat hunting this next year. How many mm -hmm. guys will have shooting goats with heavy arrows? How many guys shooting sheep? Um, and, you know, ranged out to 80 yards with those heavier setups, mainly because one of their big things is wind drift is a, is a big thing. An arrow yeah. getting pushed around, uh, yeah. if it's raining or blowing at all, that that'd be one part of it. The other part of it is, especially when we get into goat hunting and sheep too, but definitely into goat hunting, I'm trying to put that guy down as fast as possible, uh, <laughs> yeah. to keep that retrieve as short as possible. Um, and you know, a lot of times you know, the things that you can do to them in that situation. So for certain guys, that's what in their mindset, that's what they're looking for. I want to be able to, I could shoot him with a 300 wind mag, but maybe I'm shooting with a 338 yeah. um, because mm -hmm. I want a little bit heavier bullet and I want, I want to pin both shoulders and knock them down. Yep. So Anchor them it, right it, there. it really depends on what you're kind of doing. And it's the same philosophy in bullet weights as it is in arrows. Um, you know, you can go and I think you nailed it. Um, and we've always joked about internally that old saying, you know, beware of the one, the man that carries one rifle. It's the same thing. They shoot one rifle really well. That's better than sh being able to go up and down on the scale. Yeah. That was a lot of what we had looked at is I want to be able to shoot really big animals. I only shoot to 20 yards. So I really don't care about distance. So anything enters a 20 yard circle, I want to be able to shoot it. Yeah. Um, and, and regardless of what that is. So uh, it, one thing works for everything at my distance. Um, and so guys that are looking, for, like I said, guys that are looking for that, um, they're kind of, there's a lot of this aha moment. Um, the other, the other big reason you seem like you get a lot of guys that'll come to us the first time is we've talked about this. They come to us through pain. Um, it's fill in the blank. It's worse than the high school breakup story. <laughs> I shot X number of deer, you know, one, whatever it is over. And, you know, I hit it. It was too far back. It was too far forward. Um, never saw him again, never, da, da, da. or we saw him on, we saw him on, on cam a week later, he seemed fine or whatever that is, right. The yep. story is, um, and I said, you know, I understand. And the guys would be like, I don't ever want to do that. What you had mentioned is I think was really important at the beginning when we started talking is, you know, on whitetails with mechanicals for you personally, that was probably somewhere around 50, 50. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's kind of th those odds aren't are way too low for me because it's so hard for me to get a shot. 
So I would rather have less shot opportunities because I can't shoot as far. But when I get those shot opportunities, my chances of success because that arrow is going to penetrate go higher. So again, it's in your bubble, like you were saying, it's you're in your zone, right? I'm out to this distance. You know, you step inside of it, you're fried chicken. That's it. You know, that's, that's how I feel about it. I think for me also, and for a lot of guys, the part that it'll give me, and it was a big one for me. I used to have a tremendous amount of anxiety when I was younger hunting bigger and hunting moose um, and not shooting them. I was, I wasn't worried about shooting them. I was worried about shooting them, hitting them and losing them. Yeah. And it was, you know, there's nothing worse. I mean, there's just, it's awful. And um, the feeling that you get, you know, just mm. everybody's gone through it. Anybody that's gone, you just, I, I you did think not, about it a lot. Oh, and I just, I, for me, even the anxiety is that first half hour tracking them. Right. Oh, and you just like, this is not the good. highest, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, this the is worst. Not, or it's not good or whatever that is. Right. So I hated that. And it took me a while, even with shooting this stuff and, and basically, you know, building it when no one else was building it to gain that confidence to now, you know, you, at 20 yards, you're in trouble. Don't, don't do it. Cause if you do, here it comes. And yeah. really I know I'm not so concerned about angle is, how I'm going to attack you. And for me, even now is how am I going to attack you? And I'm going to try to break something, whether it's yeah. on the near side or the far side, I want to try to break something because if I do, if I penetrate through and I break something, my experience is, you know, a lot of times I can watch it go down. I don't Not know. I'll far. see it on, on the ground. I can watch it go down. You can put stuff down pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's helpful. And like you said, it, and when you have that thought, process when you've got that com- like confidence that's really what it is if you have the confidence like if something's here it's dead you have that with a rifle a lot when you're deer hunting you know and it's like uh one more step one more one step. more step you're yep. done like yep. there's just i'm yeah that's just really it and so to have that with with archery where you know there are mind games you kind of have to go through uh when you're an archer like you think about things like what if he ducks what if this what if that's all that happens in this moment even the psychological impact that you have of just cutting some of that out and knowing, all right, he's in here. I get like a ton of different angles on this, this animal, you know, and it's done. Um, it's a big deal. It It's a different way of going about business. That's, that's it. And that's really probably the thing that I tried to tell guys, depending on how you want to do it. Um, there's still a lot of guys that are, have a lot of success and enjoy doing things kind of the way, again, as we're watching everything kind of creep up and wait, you know, a 125 seems like it's pretty common now. And most heads now is, you know, yep. where before it was just hundreds. So you start <laughs> seeing that come up. Um, you know, you start seeing more of the mainstream, not, not the, not the little guys, but the mainstream, uh, arrow companies talking about FOC, mm-hmm. um, and any kind of regularity. They never did that before. Um, you know, it's kind of where the market shifted to back to what we found with the Ashby stuff is you start following it. You, some guys don't like it and some guys do, but what we found is you can't dispute that it works. That's right. the, you, you, so that's the, and he spent to, more time than most people are ever going to spend trying to figure out and how any time you get guys that want to <laughs> argue with it. I was like, he's, there's 30 years of research that you can go read. Um, I, th- right. I don't know what, how many, how many papers are written that you can go read They're online. I'm like, as soon as you write that much, if you wrote half of that, then let's have a discussion. But until <laughs> yeah. you're, until that time, you're just getting, your opinion or yep. you know i've been a you know i've been a bow hunter for 40 years and you hear that i'm like great is that documented can everybody goes and looks at ashby stuff 
and they can go and say yes or no. I'm like, where's your research? So people can go look at it and see, you can put it out in the world and people can say well, yes or no. Well, their research is, a, their sample size is quite a bit small. Even if you're hunting for 40 years and you say you shoot 40 animals, a, a, an animal a year. Yeah. It's still it's not a very big sample size, really. It's, not, it's nothing. I mean, it's, it really isn't. So back to his sample sizes were so large. And, there yeah. was, and it was over so much time. And again, he wasn't trying to set out on, hey, I think this is going to work better. He would make a bunch of arrows in all different configurations. He'd shoot them into animals. And this is all cold animals. Uh, yes. A lot of that was in Africa, was on cold animals. And in Australia, those are yeah. cold buffalo. So uh, rifle cold, you know, within a half hour, you're, you're plunking arrows into them. So, you know, he's testing every day, plunking arrows into, into stuff. Yeah. And, and so when you start looking at just the sheer volume of the research and what he found, and again, he didn't set out with any, any one goal. I just know that when I kept doing this, it just kept working better. Yeah. So I kept going down that road. It wasn't like, oh, I have a, a theory and then I'm going to go test it. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you don't have any bias. You don't go any in with any, like hoping this happens, which is how I wrote most of my college papers. You know, it's like, I'm going to write a paper <laughs> about this. And let's, let's whip it out. You know, I'll find right. only the points that support me. I'm handed it in. I'll right. take my C plus. Right. Know? Exactly. <laughs> wow. You and I would have been in college. Yeah, that was, and I, I mean, that was really where we sat down or for me and you had asked originally, you know, how did you just get into this or how did you start doing it? It was yeah. a blind leap of faith. Yep. We were at the time, probably the largest trad company outside of three rivers in the U S um, we were making the tabs and gloves and selling to Cabela's and all the big pro shops. And yeah. so we were doing that. And I, you know, at the time we made arrows, but we didn't even make broadheads. And I read this and I'm like, I think we're going to stop making everything that we make and uh -huh. we're going to focus on this. Yeah. And, um, a lot of people would think that's nuts and it probably in a lot of ways was, um, in my own experience with just in, in business and looking at a lot of other things, having done this for as long as I have now, you know, it's rarely that the first guy has ever the breakthrough guy ever anyway. So that, you know, that was always on our mind and it was yeah. also just to stay alive. Um, I have mad respect for any archery company that's over, over five years old, much less yeah. 10. It's just hard to do. Um, broadhead companies in particular, you know, they're like running backs in the NFL. You got a four-year lifespan and that's yeah, you're it. out for most guys, for most guys. You know I mean, there are exceptions to those rules for sure. So for us, it was always at first, just be able to stick around long enough, yep. you know, and there's nothing, we make two really broadheads. It's, you know, <laughs> you always like, Hey, can you patent this? And you're like, patent it. You know, I have drawings back 10,000 years old on this stuff. I mean, yeah, I don't I know, there's say, nothing to patent. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, on kind of what you want to do and how you want to do it. Yeah. Well, Garrett, um, this, we're coming up on time. This is the end. Um, yeah. For for people who are interested in, in learning more, maybe they want to read more about Ashby's stuff, read more about some of the stuff that you're putting out, the tests you're running, the animals and, and so on. Um, how can they find that information? Where, where should they go? So the easiest place is grizzlystick.com. You can Google us or just go to the, to the website. You know, stick enter without a C, by the way. Stick without a C. It still yeah. comes up everywhere. Okay. You, know, you, you plug it in, it's going to come up. Um, on there back to, there's all the Ashby reports that have ever been published on there. Um, then there's all of our own research and then, you know, just a vast array of testimonials that guys can go through on all kinds of different animals. So it's broken down into categories from whitetail all the way up to Cape Buffalo and the Africa big five. So you can really go read and, and we have it broken down on there on how guys, you know, what kind of setups we recommend for those different size animals. Yep. And, uh, on that talk a lot about also testing and why we recommend it. This is different than what a lot of guys have done. So we always like to have guys test first and make sure a couple things. Number one, that we can get 
Aeroflight. And number two, as you start shooting something, this, if you're thinking about it, make sure this is what you want to do. You know, like this is different than what a lot of guys are doing. So I'm like, get two arrows and shoot it first. And you tell me if you like it versus me trying to convince you. Yeah. Of it. So, um, you know, that would be the first so grizzly stick. Um, there's 800 numbers. We're on the socials. Um, so you can see, you know, a lot of the stuff, uh, all of our media generated is from customers. We don't, we don't have, uh, any, any kind of relationships outside of, we do a lot with white teladrenaline, um, mm -hmm. just because, um, Jared likes it and likes shooting heavy stuff. So, uh, we do a lot with those guys over the years, but outside of that, um, it's pretty much just all cover customer driven on their success stories on things that they've done and gone and hunted and, uh, what happened when they actually hit an animal with an arrow that we built them. Awesome. Well, Garrett, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Guys, go check it out. Um, fascinating stuff. Really important. This is the time of year to spend thinking about it and making plans for next year, whether it be spring or, or fall hunts you got planned. Um, stay tuned. We got some great stuff coming out here in the next couple of weeks and really appreciate y'all tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. We really do appreciate it. If you want to go on to any kind of social media platform, give us a like, share, subscribe. You know, it really helps us out, keeps the train rolling. And if you guys really like what you're listening here, give us a five Either star way, if, even if you don't like it, even if you don't like review. it, five stars. That'd helps cool. everyone out. We'll see you out there.